0: And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancock's and Bernice Miller-Travis.
1: Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Kate Meese. Our regular host, Mike Hancocks, is off today. Our guest today is Lisa Reitzman, who's going to talk to us about the role that sports can play In increasing social mobility and improving communities. Lisa is the regional program manager for Street Soccer USA, a program that uses soccer to build life skills. Lisa has played semi-professional soccer and was named by the Sacramento Business Journal as one of the 40 Under 40 leaders for her outstanding professional accomplishments and community involvement. Lisa, thank you for joining us. I invited you to the podcast because I think you have a really powerful personal story of overcoming adversity. Can you start out by telling our listeners how you came to be involved in street soccer?
2: Sure, and thanks for having me on. Um, let me start with you know what our mission statement is with Street Soccer USA, which is you know we're a national nonprofit using the power of soccer to help people of all ages and backgrounds discover their strengths and take positive steps forward in their lives. I got involved because a few years ago our program was – Designated as an enrichment program for folks who were enduring homelessness. This was sort of an outreach engagement tool to start conversation and build a relationship with some of the people receiving services in shelters or soup kitchens. And the guys that founded it quickly saw that, you know, there's a lot of these people who have nothing to do. And so they started kicking a soccer ball around and it you know, started to engage some of the people who were not soccer players, but wanted something to do. And they quickly found just through passing the soccer ball with them, it opened a door to build some relationships and start to have some conversations with these folks on what kind of services and support they really needed. And then it eventually evolved into a soccer team. How I got involved years after, um, you know, they started the program in Charlotte, I was still playing soccer at Sac State, a leader of the team on my way to go to play professional soccer, which was my life ambition. And it didn't happen. And I was pretty devastated after my career at Sac State and I didn't know what else to do with my life. That was where I always felt like I was at my best. And that's where I put all of my effort into. So when I didn't um, go pro, I didn't really know how to transfer the skill set that I've acquired over 20 years of playing soccer into life. And I failed miserably. I ended up getting into drugs and alcohol. Um, really badly, really quickly, just to kind of fill this void that I was missing from what you get on team sports sometimes. I ended up in getting arrested in 2009 for the last time after getting a pretty severe addiction to, to methamphetamines. And while I was in jail, uh, I was feeling pretty hopeless and eventually was released and given the opportunity to go to rehab. And I took it. That was where I was introduced to sobriety, 90-day like residential program. And it seemed like you know, it was worth doing because the looking at my life, uh, using drugs still was, was not optimistic and it was failing very quickly. So as I got sober, I got introduced, moved on to a transitional living housing and they had a men's street soccer team. And what this looked like was a bunch of dudes who were like huge, never played soccer before, all tatted up, a lot of missing teeth and just these guys that had been on the streets for the majority of their lives kicking a ball around. And they were actually getting ready for a street soccer USA national tournament and found out that I had a background in soccer and thought that I could be the key to winning the tournament this year for them. And so I, you know, that's how I got involved. Do you, I can tell you more about like what that experience was or I could stop there.
1: (laughs) Sure. No, I'd love to hear how you were able to kind of turn the corner from seeing some soccer is something that in some ways you might say, ruined your life and in terms of your your experience after college, just something that that gave you new meaning through this transition process.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I had played soccer forever. And as I was done playing, I would apply for jobs and they'd ask me if I had any experience. And I always said no, right? And I didn't realize that, you know, I did have experience in communication. I did have experience in leadership. I had a ton of experience in being a team player and showing up for things and being consistent and being reliable that I didn't know how to communicate. And so when I started to recognize that I had these qualities was when I started playing with this eventually started playing with this men's street soccer team at the transitional that I was living at. And and when they first asked me to play, I was very hesitant and because all I knew is I had wasted the first 23 years of my life playing soccer and it gave me nothing. Which wasn't the truth. I learned that the drugs was probably more of a problem than the soccer was. (laughs) But as I'm starting to rebuild my life from the ground up and then starting to engage in soccer again, I could really start to see you know, the parallels between what I was needing in, in my life, just the daily routine, and then also like what I had while I was playing soccer. And it was even more evident because I was playing with people who had never played before. So teamwork skills and working with people they don't like, these were new things for them. And they had to work through that. For me, it was like obvious. So it also kind of reminded me of there was a, a lot of skills that I had acquired that I had no idea that I had, when I'm looking at other people who don't have them. And so um, that started to really kind of open my eyes up to how I could draw from my past and, and project some of the strengths that I had forward once I sort of got the sobriety piece down. And then also really showing me you know, I was around a lot of people in recovery, and the the statistic of success for sobriety is like one out of ten. So if I, go, when I was in rehab, they, you know, very directly told us like one out of ten of you are gonna make it, and there's 20 of us sitting around a table, so it's like two of us who are not gonna go back to the life that we just came from, and it's pretty, you know, I mean, <laughs> we were sober, but it's a even more sobering <laughs> statistic. And what I learned, though, is that a lot of the relapse and sobriety isn't a result of not staying sober. It's all of the other things that people have left to acquire to be successful in life once they get the sobriety. And for me, you know, I could get the sobriety and and lean on all of the foundational experience that I had from playing sports and then use that to go forward. But a lot of people didn't have those things. And so this was really where they were learning it for the first time, which is why I saw a lot of value in it. You know, and we were super bad. So you could be terrible at soccer and still get them critical life skills that you needed, which is what you know we were seeing.
1: One thing that really stood out to me when I heard your story and when we've talked about your experiences, that that building of trust and how you mentioned a lot of the the women you were meeting because of the circumstances that brought them there whether it was domestic violence or living on the streets or or whatever other hardship that they have faced really impacted their ability to trust other people and soccer ended up being a way that they were able to build relationships and and have as you said you know team members that relied on them and that they could really lean on. So I I thought that was, you know, a really critical part in in thinking about how impactful this program can be.
2: Yeah, you know, it was, I laugh about it a lot now, but it, it was so interesting to see. I was 29 when I went into rehab. And again, I have played on, you know, a soccer team and a competitive soccer team for the majority of my life. We traveled together in college. Like played on some regional teams where you just show up and you play with people you never met. So as I got into rehab, it was my first introduction to to what recovery looked like. And and there was a lot of women who had come from much more traumatic lives than mine. You know, they looked at me as if like, what are you doing here? You like a white middle class girl, like, you know, we've been traumatized our whole lives. So that's why we're here. But regardless, the trauma and the devastation in this room, which is, you know, got like 20 women between ages 21 and 50, as much as we had all lost everything, the only thing they hung on to was how much they still disliked other women. And they would say that. They'd say, I hate other women. You're like, this is crazy to me because I'm like, whoa, well, how are we going to be able to rebuild our lives without introducing new people into our lives? And in this room, this is literally the only people we have something in common with right now. And you're all willing to turn your back on it because you just don't like women. And then it it surfaced later on, like they have never had positive interactions with other women. They never played sports before. You're already missing out on those life skills, but the ability to just, you know, support each other without having th- anything in common was like beyond them. And a lot of these women and in, in the lifestyles they had, they're competition, you know, it's like either the guy that they're with, they're competing for, or they're maybe selling themselves, exploitation, and that's competition. Or they're selling drugs, or that's competition. So they didn't see each other as a, as a source of support at all. Like that wasn't even an option. And so when we started the women's street soccer team, we definitely like had our challenges in front of us. And the the thing that worked so beautifully, and and I still like laugh about our first few teams because it could make a great movie. All of these women are very competitive and they wanted to be successful, but like they were terrible at soccer. So they were really driven by the opportunity to be on this team and possibly have a trip to compete but they were so bad that they needed each other. And, and I say that like street soccer is a 4v4 small-sided game with walls. So the ball's always moving. You know, they're out of shape. They all smoke packs of cigarettes a day. They're, they're overweight because they, they've they stopped using drugs. So they, uh, they kind of had to figure out how to tolerate each other. And the woman they disliked the most was the only one willing to be goalie. So like, okay, we'll accept you as a goalie. <laughs> <And then laughs> the woman who like couldn't run but had the hardest shot, like, all right, you're going to play up top because you can't run, but you can kick. And we just kind of made it work that way. And with the over the six month to a year time of them showing up to practices and, you know, they they began to respect each other and, and appreciate their differences and recognize that the opportunity that they were getting was based on these other women showing up for them. And that started to really look transfer into their lives where they're all living too. Now they're taking their kids to to school for each other, babysitting when one gets a job, supporting each other off the field in the same way. And it was all relative to them still being able to play on this team together. So it's really interesting to watch. We had no idea what to expect, but but they all had like really great relationships still. And this was six years ago.
1: That's fantastic. I think you've shared some some more quantitative results as well. You you mentioned earlier that they shared statistics with you that that one in 10 will stay sober. And and that's pretty, pretty scary to think about when you're in a, a group of 20 women. But what have you seen in terms of the recovery rates and the success rates for women coming out of this program that have had the ability to be part of these teams?
2: Yeah, so our our numbers are pretty much like 90% of the women that have been a part of our program for a year or longer have maintained sobriety. And that's about 40, about 40 different women. And the other numbers you know, it's 75% of them, it's probably probably closer to 80, but they've all, you know, either gone into further their education or they've, um, you know, gotten their kids back. They're off of government assistance and they're working. They've obtained permanent housing and, you know, the, this mental illness, they've treated that and their sobriety. And these are all a lot of their ability to move forward and obtain these goals. They would they would say that they learned those um, the traits and kind of the resilience from from being a part of the team.
1: That's fantastic. Really impressive results. You recently started a youth program as well that serves low-income neighborhoods, which I think is a, a really great model because as someone who also grew up playing soccer, I understand how expensive and prohibitive the pay-to-play model can be. Can you talk to us a little bit about the new programs you've started and the impact you've seen on these families?
2: Yeah. And again, this was kind of a pilot thing. We we learned from the adults on a national level that all the adults were working with, you know, whether they're 30 or 50, they're saying that had they learned some of the skills they learned through soccer with us at an at a earlier age, they believe that they may not have fallen into the cracks so significantly. So then it made sense, like, we've got to go make sure that the other kids are getting access to these life skills, you know, more importantly, the life skills than the soccer, but soccer is a pretty cost effective way to do that. So we started out in Oak Park, Oak Park Community Center, and one of the way up, it's a a nonprofit from one of the council members. They were really looking to engage the Hispanic and Latino community. That was the majority of, of who made up the, the community. And it's pretty like under-resourced neighborhood and definitely facing gentrification right now. They noticed they just never, this community center, they they just never see like this particular community. So they reached out to us and, you know, we're like, obviously, have you tried soccer? <laughs> and so they're like, no, because it's, it's in the hist- history, it's been more African-American made. And so basketball and football have been... The primary sports offered, so you don't ever see anybody out in this neighborhood playing soccer. And I think the assumption was, well, they're not interested in soccer because we don't see them out playing, which was false. So we went in kind of on a, a long shot to see if we could go into some after-school programs of the neighborhood in the community center and generate and show some interest in soccer. You know, and it, it was six you know super successful. We we worked with like ages third through sixth grade. None of the kids had. Really played soccer before, but after, you know, three three, four month program going to their schools, like we even saw parents starting to come out to watch their kids play. Cause it was just the only opportunity where the parents felt safe about them engaging in sports. And it was their first opportunity too, because of the the cost of it. So we had over, you know, 120 kids, I think, in the first four months who 80% had never played soccer before and all of a sudden we've got all these kids out kicking soccer balls. So I think the the leadership in Oak Park was totally surprised by it and then they were even you know more pleasantly surprised by the parents coming out and watching. The parents are really grateful because it's an opportunity they just couldn't provide their kids a lot of them are single fam- single parent homes or they're working more than one job and then the kids like they just needed to run and honestly we went into a couple of these schools we're like we're going to teach them soccer we're going to teach them how to you know technically dribble and shoot and all the life skills in the first couple of days we got out there they're like they just need to run like they just need to, to run and play and then we'll you know and then we'll teach them more about the game and it's been really fun because uh we've gone back to those schools this fall this is our second year at some of them and and they're much more interested in learning soccer now than they were about just running around last year. We're pretty engaged with the families. Some of the kids would come out every Saturday to our community club at Oak Park Community Center, and they'd bring their parents and their little brothers and sisters. And by the end of the practice, the whole family's in there playing with them. And we just got to build a really cool relationship. And, you know, when we get Republic FC tickets, the pro soccer team out here, that's who we'd give them to. So we'd go to the soccer games with them and just kind of became a cool pipeline to to offer something very simple, but well received. And so in that neighborhood, we we probably work with a little over 200 kids a year now. And then we're at four, four or five different program sites, schools and community centers.
1: We've talked throughout the podcast about how you're, you're building in life skills through these programs, but can you give some examples of the, the type of curriculum you use to, to build these skills?
2: So the first skill that we talk about is show up. It's very simple. It's like, why is it important to show up? And, you know, because you, you gotta be there. You gotta show up for your teammates. Play with heart is, is another individual skill where it's like giving them the control to try their hardest and feel good about it and what it means to not give up. Looking up. You know, why is it important to look up when you're dribbling so you don't run into people? It's like, why is it important to look up, you know, outside of school? Take the space is something that's about recognizing opportunity. And so talk about that. Build your triangle is a really important one. And one of my favorites in street soccer, triangle is the strongest shape. Or even regular soccer, it's the strongest shape, meaning that you always have. If you have the ball, you have two teammates supporting you building the shape of a triangle. If your teammate has the ball, you're in a position to be supportive to them. So the adults and the kids we talk about, what does that look like outside of your, outside of soccer to you? Like who is in your triangle of support and do you have one? And if you don't, like, let's figure it out. And then also like, who are you supporting? You know, are you available to support other people too? So we have a few others like that, but really try to make sure it's relative to them, you know, outside of, outside of soccer but in in soccer is where they can experience what that feels like.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I think that'll give a a nice flavor of the type of work you're doing. So when you were talking about some of the youth programs in Oak Park and some of the other low-income neighborhoods, one of the things that I'm really excited about that street soccer is doing is joining conversations around new development. And there's a particular development that I know you're – you're working with to figure out between a market rate development and an existing low income multifamily development. There have been some issues that uh, have come up and, and certainly questions around gentrification and and how do we get these two developments to to work together? And you've come up with a really promising solution that I think could work in other areas as well. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I definitely I don't want to take all the credit for the idea because we didn't come up with it entirely ourselves, but we were available available to execute it. And and I'm excited too because I think this is like the rawest part of Sacramento in some respects, and the blankest canvas for us to really demonstrate an impact in an area where soccer's not played. And we're working in a, a neighborhood. It's like the oldest projects in Sacramento, I think. And I th- I believe the annual income right now is $7,500 a year. I think it houses over like 1,800 people. But, you know, they've been there forever since after World War II. And then now there's a new, young, kind of hip development going in across the street where the houses are ranging from three to $400,000. And it's a, a pretty big disparity between the the projects versus the new people moving in. And the new people moving in were expressing a discomfort with some of the kids in the neighborhood kind of wandering over to to their where they just purchased their home and possibly like playing around in the construction zones and just, just making the development face some challenges that, you know, get in the way of what they're trying to do. And then the neighborhood that we're at and the sort of the projects, they're Kids are looking at this, like these big fancy homes are going around them and and they're just stuck there with as a reminder of maybe what their circumstances are not. And so the mill at Broadway is the development. Kevin Smith is one of the the partners and he reached out, his daughter's a soccer player, trying to figure out a way to safely integrate the two communities without anybody feeling too uncomfortable. I think the initial conversations were like, how are we going to build a wall around this neighborhood so that people feel safe and that these kids aren't coming in the community. Then the second idea was like, what about, could we use soccer? And so they reached out to us and asked if we could create a program that would, you know, the kids and the, the neighborhood would feel, you know, lower income neighborhood would feel like they're gaining something with these new developments going in across the street rather than just losing. And could we keep them busy? And it, could this possibly even be a way to build relationships between the people who are moving to the new housing developments and and these other kids who are just like looking to, you know, have mentors and and possibly coaches and some volunteers. And so we started this about six weeks ago and it's been like worked out beautifully. We have over 130 kids coming out in a weekly basis who have never played soccer before. We've gotten pretty good feedback from the developers that this is what they wanted and uh, and you know the idea long term would would be that we could recruit volunteers from some of this development who have probably played soccer in a pay to play model that would appreciate giving some of that back to this neighborhood in that way. So um, so far it's going like really well, and, and we hope we can just kind of continue it and grow it into to more of a league.
1: That's great. I, lo- I really love that as a model to to build community and to integrate two different developments and different neighborhood type. So I think our listeners can hopefully draw from that experience. So (laughs) what can you tell other interested communities if we have listeners that want to start similar chapter, a local street soccer, soccer chapter? What can they do to to find out more information?
2: Yeah, so I mean, starting a local chapter, we you know requires a, a little bit more of a, a funding idea. We would hope that you know there would be some kind of uh, lead source funding that could get the chapter off the ground and hire coaches and, and hire some programming from a an intentional way versus reactive. And Rob can, our chief impact officer in San Francisco, would be the person to contact contact for there. And then you know, can I tell a story real quick about kind of the full circle of, of what we're doing with the youth and adults? Yeah, please. Okay, so sometimes like we've gotten the question of like how does the adult program work in with the youth program besides recognizing that everybody needs these critical skills? And um, there's a story that I think is pretty relevant of this young woman. Her name is Chantelle. She worked with us. She works with us now. Um, but we met her when she was 12. Um, and we met her while I was coaching the women's team at this transitional. Her mom was a woman in recovery. And she was living near me, and this was 2010. And so her mom joined the team, and she didn't have a lot of support. So her mom would bring all of her kids to practice with us, just as the other mothers did that were on our team. Um, so we'd have you know six or seven street soccer adult players, and then we'd have about fifteen or sixteen kids coming playing with us. It it worked out great. The the kids were, you know, a space for us to scrimmage against. And then the kind of we saw a lot of uh, repair happen through the relationships with their parents just through playing. And so Chantel kind of stuck around like as her mom did. So for years, she's coming to our little street soccer practices. And, you know, we find out later on that that was a lot of hope for her through the different circumstances with her mom and moving and the different transitionals that soccer was a consistent thing for her to her to go to, even if it was just something simple like our street soccer practices. You know, and she went on to play in high school and did really well. She came back around. We reconnected with her two years ago as we're starting to look at launching these youth programs. And she really wanted to help coach. And so um, we were able to to invite her and kind of bring her on and see how she did with the kids that we're working with in these neighborhoods. And it turned out it was like a sweet spot for her because she she got the kids. that They're in the same situation that she was in. And she ended up being one of our first hires as a, as a street soccer USA coach. And then she also was an eligible player for us this last year too. You never know, I think, how we're intervening with these kids now, what that will turn into down the road. And I think it's it's worth you know saying that as we work with adults and the youth and the adults get their life together a lot of them are really valuable tools to go back and offer something in the community meaning that some of them might make really good volunteers and coaches in this neighborhood we actually have three or four kids who have or adults who have gone through our adult program and you know, participated in a couple national tournaments and have really turned their lives around and are going in an upward trajectory. And the first thing they want to do is go back and teach this stuff to the kids that we're working with. And it allows us to even provide employment opportunities. So I think that's worth saying too. Is as we think about like how people want to support or get involved, and a lot of it's volunteering, but a lot of it's supporting. You know, our efforts with some of these individuals like Chantel or our other players who are coming back and. You know, want to give back.
1: Well, thank you, Lisa, so much. Unfortunately, we are at time, but before we wrap up, I do want to give listeners a chance if they want to make a donation to support the great work you're doing, where where can they do that?
2: You can go to our Street Soccer USA website at streetsoccerusa.org. You could sponsor a player. You could sponsor adult program. If you're really interested in supporting a community like neighborhood program, I would reach out to to Rob Can, our chief impact officer at rob at streetsoccerusa.org. But definitely check out our website at uh, www.streetsoccerusa.org.
1: Great. Well, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio.
0: Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, Visit our website at InfiniteEarthRadio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash InfiniteEarthRadio and Twitter by following at InfiniteEarthRadio.